Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my co-host, Jeff Merrick. Jeff, what's going on, man? Hello, sir. How are you? And how is everything in Vancouver these days? It's good. I was just telling you, it's uh, got a nice little, nice little heat wave going on. I mean, for Vancouver standards, of course, I'm sure compared to uh, to Toronto, it's 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 mild at best. But uh, it's people here. Everyone, everyone here, I feel like is just like hitting the beach and and calling in sick to work and and acting like it's like the be- the best thing that's ever happened. We've had the weirdest. I drove home two days ago from a sports net up here to Stouffville through hail. Mm. in june hail like it looked like you know snow accumulation on my on my windshield it was pretty gross and then two seconds later it's like i'm in shorts and a, and a dry fit out in the backyard cutting the grass we've had the most bizarre weather uh, that i can remember for the past little while anyway oh, oh, hockey. Heard, how's I, it going hockey. I, I was gonna say i wonder if uh, the listeners can tell that it's the off season already we're like giving them a full weather report for exactly yeah <laughs> meteorologist dimitri filipovich here <laughs> with your five-day forecast um, so I thought it would be a good idea to have you on because you, uh, you were working the NHL draft and I haven't really had a chance to discuss it on the podcast yet. And I've had a few, a few people asking if I was going to do anything about it. And, um, yeah, you seem like the, the perfect guy to, to enlist your help and, and get some of your sort of anecdotes and takeaways from being there okay. live in the building and interacting with all sure. different people. Can I ask you a question to start the podcast then? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. What did you think of the green room? Hmm. The little area behind with the eight prospects and poor Clem Costin sweating bullets until pick number thirty-one when he finally went. I'm. I, I honestly Be haven't honest, really. I, mean, I haven't it's really. Not going to offend me. I haven't really thought about it. Um, why was it? Did it get a negative reaction? No, I don't. I mean, it, it just seemed like a very non-hockey thing to do. I yeah. mean, it seemed like a very hey, why are we doing this? Other sports do this. Hockey's not supposed to do it. Um, I'm not sure where the idea came from. It might've just been the NHL itself. I think the idea is they want to, they want to quicken the pace of the draft. They feel that it takes too long in between picks. That there's a lot of dead area, a lot of dead zone. Mm. Um, I don't know, man, for, because for me, like I, I understand the idea of, you know, time is at a premium. Um, and you have to ultimately obey the clock. I understand that for network television, I get how expensive it is. Um, and so you want to move things along and it does make the draft quicker. 
Um, but what I've always liked about the draft <clears throat> is this. I like the idea that the kids get picked. The camera has to find them in the crowd. They do the hug to mom, you know, the hug to dad, the fist bump to the brothers, you know, the handshake to the agent. And then they walk down out of the stands to the floor, you know, up the stairs, shake the commissioner's hand, meet the new GM, get the hat, get the jersey. Like the whole thing takes a little while. Right. So what I like about it is. For fans that are just casual observers in the draft and may know a couple of the names. This year, I think a casual hockey fan will know Nico Heischer and Nolan Patrick. After that, I mean, unless you're a hardcore, you know, Kale McCarr and, and Miro Heiskanen and Casey Middlestadt and Jurel Vakanainen, mm, I'm guessing you probably don't know these names. But if you have a situation where the player is coming down from the stands and has to make that long walk, the broadcasters have to talk about him. And the longer they have to talk about that player, by the time that player hits the stage, you've got the rap sheet on who the player is. You've seen some video highlights of who this guy is. Uh, they talked about his biography. You know a lot about this guy in that two, two and a half minutes, if that's what it is, by the time the pick is announced and the player hits the stage. So when they hit the stage, it's almost as if you know everything about them. It's that crash course in this player. And you generally, you don't get that when the guy's just backstage, you know, Gabriel Velarde, you know, the new member of the Los Angeles Kings, and he's out in two seconds. You don't get a chance to really get into and, and tell that big story because you just don't have the time. So it's, to me, it's kind of a, I don't know, it's, it, it's, I understand the experience and I understand you have to, you want to get things, these things over as quick as possible because this is network television you're dealing with. But I still like a long, drawn-out draft just because you can learn a lot about the prospects. I know I loved that before I was involved in it. I loved, you know, um, when TSN had it, when watching the broadcast and, you know, hearing the guys talk about all these players. And I found out that I learned a couple of things. Even if I, even if I knew them, I found out something new about them by the time they hit the stage. I don't know if you get that if you have a green room scenario and the guys are just lickety split out there on the stage. Now, mind you, it's only eight guys, right? But still, I don't know. There's some. I, I get it because it's time versus content, and there's probably a happy medium in there somewhere. I'm just selfish, Dimitri, and I love you like four or five hours, and I'm the guy that watches rounds two through seven as well. So. Yeah. I don't know. This is my long-winded way of saying it was fun. It was neat. Uh, I understand why they did it, but I like the big long walk for every single player. Yeah, you know, you could definitely tell um, that there was a concerted effort to speed up the process, and it really did feel like it flew by. I think it held us a hope that, that no one really called for a timeout at any point, I don't believe. So it, it nope. really um, time. really accelerated the process. Um, how did they pick the, the eight guys who sat in the green room? Great question. Um, actually, draw, drawing names? No, no one. No one's asked me that. It's really, and I, uh, I don't think it's. I don't know if it's. I would imagine it's public. I don't think it's a secret. Um, they're chosen by NHL Central Scouting. Hmm. It's it's that simple. So like Sportsnet doesn't do it. NBC doesn't do it. Uh, those players are chosen by NHL Central, which is curious because you know, as I mentioned, Clem Costin was in there, and right. I think a lot of people going into the draft thought he could be a big dropper. You know, the shoulder injury, the quote unquote Russian factor, all of it. Um, meanwhile, you know, there's, you know, Kale McCarr isn't in there. You know, Miro Heiskanen uh, isn't in there. Elias Anderson uh, isn't in there. 
Um, none of the players that were going to go early. Nick Suzuki uh, wasn't in there. Players that were going to go early. Right. Um, so it almost seemed as if you're, it's almost seemed as if you know NHL Central Scouting had Clem Costin as their number one European. So damn it, he's going to be in that room, as opposed to just here's how we think the draft order is going to be. Yeah, well, I mean, it worked out pretty well for the Blues flipping uh, Ryan Reeves for for the Clem Costin. Yeah, it's not a, not a bad, not a bad little uh, upside gamble for them to take. <laughs> Yeah, they worked out okay. I like uh, I like Robert Thomas as well. Who they took it. Uh, they took a twenty from the London Knights. Who's a mm. nice little player, sort of a Bo Horvat uh, type player. So yeah, St. Louis uh, St. Louis did all right. They did uh, they did pretty good. Even though uh, I don't think they got uh, the goaltender uh, that they wanted mm. uh, in the draft this year. That went to uh, it was Jake Ottinger. Were you were you surprised that? Uh that we didn't see any like we saw a few of those moves towards the end of the first round but uh it you know obviously you hear the gms are talking on the on the floor and and they're they're on their phones and all this and they're and they're meeting up face to face but nothing really came of it and i kept yeah. kind of waiting for something big to happen but i guess uh with you know all the expansion draft festivities and then some of the trades that happened uh on on thursday and friday before the draft i guess it kind of took the wind out of it a little bit and a lot of the conversations that you see at the draft, either in day one or day two, sort of lead to the trades that we see, I don't know, in first week of July mm. or, you know, that, that'll happen this week, next week or whatever. I can still recall being at the draft a couple of years ago <clears throat> and, you know, leaving and all the tables had cleared off except for the, I've told you this story before, except for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like everybody at the Penguins table stayed and we were up in the stands and there was a very animated conversation and you could tell um that the table was completely split um some people were quite vocal quite loud quite let's just say delicately dimitri passionate about their point mm-hmm. um and you know we figured out pretty quickly they're talking about a potential phil kessel deal right and that that's and that's how divided up. yeah that's how divided the table was but those conversations you know really hit a crescendo on the draft even though the trade you know wasn't consummated till later you know some of the big seeds were planted at the draft that year yeah, I'm. I'd, I'd love to be a, a fly on the wall to pick up stuff oh, like that. I'm always, I'm always yeah. so curious about. Uh, I, I'm. Listen, I'm with. I am way more interested in microphones on uh, people at the draft table than microphones on players on the ice. Right. Which to me, you know, is to be honest with you, kind of boring. Like you know, I don't need to hear players swear at each other. I don't need to hear the mundane talk. You know, sometimes, you know, a guy like Wes McCauley is pretty entertaining to have a mic on because he's a kind of a witty guy. Right. Um, but I don't need to hear grunts and groans of hockey players. Uh, it doesn't interest me a whole lot. But, micro, you know, putting micro, hot mics on, on general managers at the draft, oh, yeah, I'll take that every day of the week. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can see why they would be uh, against that because it just provides more, uh, you know, ammunition for us to to evaluate them and judge them on critically. Like, I I feel like, you know, that, that there's that famous video of uh, the Bruins uh, in their war room talking about trading Tyler Sagan, and obviously that oh. has not uh, that has not aged very well and doesn't 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 paint them in the in the brightest light. So it's uh, I can I can see why they'd be against it. It's not that it hasn't aged well. It was awful <laughs> when it was on court. It was terrible. For, I can remember watching this. My first thought to myself is, wow, this is wonderful. Wow, what great access. Why the hell have the Bruins authorized the release? Yes. This? this is. Has, did someone sign off on this? Is, <laughs> do people know that this yeah. is going to air? Like, what do you mean? 
wishful thinking. I, like, yeah. I was. It's wonderful. You know, it's wonderful behind the scenes. But I just can't believe that the Bruins greenlighted it. It was their own broadcast. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree with that 100. percent Um, so the actual draft itself, I mean. I don't necessarily specifically want to get into like each pick by pick because I'm sure that's already been done. We're a few days out now, and uh, I want to by, talk by about people much smarter Veselainen than us. To Winnipeg at 24, and damn it, we're going to talk about Veselainen yes. to Winnipeg 24. What does that What does that mean for the Winnipeg Jets depth depth chart four years from now? I want to <laughs> I want to know exactly. They just heavied up on their right side. Yes. The big guy had the horrible experience with Fralunda, but then turned it around at the end. Was the best player in the uh, the the U18 tournament at the end of the season. Mm. There you go. There's, there's the scout, scout speak on Christian Veselainen. It definitely did. Uh, there were a lot of fins taken, I felt like. Uh, yeah. Um, six in the first round, new record. Mm. And a lot of the thing, the thing about it, too, is um, a lot of defensemen, right? So you had, you know, Miro Heiskanen. He goes, Yusuf Valamaki, Yerho Vakanainen. Um, this was Henry Yokoharyu to uh, Chicago Blackhawks. Like, I understand where the influence comes from. For Swedish defensemen, right? right. Whether you know, it's the Borja Solomon generation, whether it's you know the Nick Lidstrom, the Nick Lidstrom generation. I mean, how many defensemen? You know, it's Lindholm or Hedman, all of them. Oh yeah, Carlson now. Uh, oh yeah, I was in- influenced by Nicholas Lidstrom. Now all the kids are talking about how they're influenced by Eric Carlson. But who's the Pied Piper of Finnish defense? You know, like even once upon a time, you could say like Jan Suchi was like the Pied Piper of you know Czech. You know, Czechoslovakian defensemen. Yeah. Like, but like, is, is Teppo Newman in that much of a big shot that everyone sort of had? To, like, I don't know. It's funny because I asked uh, Valamaki this. I asked uh, Heiskanen this mm. um, at the Combine. So we sit down and do two day, two full days of interviews with all the kids just to get background on a lot of them. And they really had, you know, no, no idea either why all of the sudden, you know, the world is full of elite-level Finnish defensemen. Kind of a freak. It sort of popped up out of nowhere. We were so used to Finns producing elite-level elite netminders, right. not defensemen. I don't know. Maybe like Kimo Tiemann or something? I don't know. That's, that's, you know, that's an interesting one because uh, Miro Heiskanen said, when I asked him who his favorite favorite defenseman was, he said, my favorite uh, NHL defenseman, no, he said, my favorite North American defenseman is Duncan Keith. But he went out of his way to say my favorite Finnish defenseman was Kimo Timonen. Yeah, I mean, Kimo was awesome. You know, you know, it's kind of a bummer. Um, it's easy to forget about him now because it's been a few years and he was playing in Carolina and he wasn't necessarily the, the biggest name. But I always I was always partial towards a guy like Yoni Pitkinen, for example. I, I really enjoyed yeah. watching him play. And it, it's it's just a bummer how he took that nasty fall into the boards with his heel and, and never really was able to, to get back to the NHL level. But he was always a, kind of one of my one of my sneaky favorites to watch and from the from the Finnish defenseman. Had a hard time taking the hospital bracelet off, eh? Mm. Like, there were so many times, like, hey, guy, tough season. Did you even take the hospital bracelet off this year? Like, I, I know what you mean. I, and I can't help but thinking a player, because I always do this game, like, in my own little head. Like, you watch a game from 15 years ago, and you spot the guy or the guys that would have excelled in the game right now. Yep. How good would Johnny Pitkinen have been if he played right now with these rules, 2017? where you don't have to be overly physical and you're not going to be judged on it harshly either by the media or by your own teammates. I think that the next uh, sort of big wave for us in in hockey in terms of sort of better understanding the game and, and the you know cutting edge trying to find the market inefficiencies is going to be all the stuff related to health. Like I've, I've had a few uh, 
a few different representatives from different teams tell me that they were very interested in uh, all this sort of like biometric stuff and sort of monitoring the human body and trying to figure out what makes it tick and if they can prevent injuries better and maybe try and figure out which guys are uh, more likely to be injury prone than others because you know you're right a guy like Yoni Pitkinen missed a bunch of time throughout his career yeah I wonder if uh like if we had this discussion about a guy like Andre Markov five or six years ago, we'd be saying mm-hmm. the same thing. And then now, like he's in his mid to late thirties, and he's pretty much the, he's the. I mean, he missed twenty games this year, I guess, but pretty much other than that, he'd he'd been playing like eighty one, eighty one, eighty two, just for years on end. And it's just remarkable how he was able to turn that around. So you know, guys get that label of being injury prone, and for sure, I think that especially like with soft tissue injuries, for example, it probably makes you more likely to suffer that type of an injury again. But sometimes guys yep. just have uh, a really unfortunate string of luck and maybe we shouldn't write them off for it. I had an interesting conversation with a trainer. Um, this was two years ago at the Combine. And I was talking to him, and he had worked previously with one, two, three different NHL teams. And I said, uh, I said you know, this is kind of, this is, this is interesting, but I look at the Combine, and from my point of view, it's nothing more than marketing for the draft. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's an exercise in marketing. It's an exercise in getting to know the prospects. Um, you know, I don't know how much of what we're seeing here today or on the weekend is going to necessarily translate at all to what we see on the ice. Um, you know, from your perch as a trainer, where's the value in the combine? And he said, I understand your concerns. I understand what you're saying. And it makes 100% sense. But from my perch, you know, what I would take away from uh, a week at the combine, watching the kids go through the testing, what I would take away and present to my NHL team is this. Can I spot the place where the player is predisposed to injury? Like, is there something when you run them through this, you know, gauntlet of exercises that I can glean and say, you know, he's predisposed to a shoulder injury. He's predisposed to a knee injury, just judging on how he works, just on the mechanics of his body Hmm. uh, and how it works. And when you consider that, you know, teams are investing millions and millions of dollars on these athletes, something like the combine where you may look at it and say, well, all these events, the guys are doing that translates more to football than it does to hockey. That may be true. But he said, my takeaway is more where these guys might get injured. Mm-hmm. And that's the type of information that is valuable to an organization. So you may look at you know, how much a guy is going to bench press or how you know, what's he going to do in sprints or whatever, whatever the event's going to be. Um, but the, the big the big takeaway and the big and the most interesting information you can gather is where a guy may end up hurting himself. It's funny because George McPhee, Sam Cosentino and I did a, uh, again, a, a combine uh, uh, program on sportsnet.ca and Facebook live. And one of the things we had McPhee on jam of Vegas. And one mm-hmm. of the things he said is, you know, what I take away from this is, you know, which are the bodies that are going to be able to withstand 10 years in the NHL. I think he's sort of getting at, in a roundabout way, the same thing that this trainer was talking to me about two years ago. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you're making a, this type of an investment, especially at the top end of the first round, you're hoping that guy's going to be on your team for a long time. Like, it's obviously something you should focus on. And, you know, it, it extends through various different uh, phases of the game as well, especially around this time of year. With, yeah. free, with free agency, if you're going to be signing a guy to like a four or five year deal, you want to you wanna, you wanna kind of vet, vet that as properly as you can. And I feel like some teams still, it's not, it's definitely uh, still a very inexact science. I guess you can sort of better your odds of making a calculated guess on if, you, if you're looking at certain things. 
you kind of have to hit on your first rounder, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know if I, there's an old saying that if you miss on your first rounder, it sets your franchise back two years. I don't know about that one, but I know that, you know, you better hit on your first because, you know, to a lesser extent, the second round pick. And then after that, I mean, good luck getting in the NHL. I mean, the percentages just dwindle, you know, so remarkably Like you really do have to hit on your first round pick. And, and, and in the, in, in, in fairness to the NHL, I think safe to say, you know, most teams do um, hit hit on their first round. There's there's always the exceptions, obviously, um, but the league is so well scouted now that very few, if any, you know, slip through the cracks. But you're you're right. Like when you're investing this kind of dough, uh, these types of resources into these players, you need to know that you know I'm Edmonton and I just drafted you know uh, Kyler Yamamoto, who's not the biggest guy out there by any stretch of the imagination, but man, is he dynamic. And you look at his 42 goals, and you say to yourself, wow, only 10 of them are on the power play. This guy is not just a power play machine. This guy gets it done five on five. How is his body going to withstand the rigors uh, of, uh, of, of the National Hockey League, even though it isn't, you know, welcome to the jungle the way it was 20 years ago? Still, you do have those concerns about what's that body going to do? What's that body going to look like after 10 years? Well, the reason why not nailing your pick uh, in the first round can be so detrimental beyond obviously the disappointment of you hoping that guy would be able to contribute to your team is that teams have such a difficult time uh, sort of just pulling the plug sometimes and just admitting that they were wrong. So it's like if you uh, if you pick the wrong player and he doesn't work out, like you generally keep giving him more and more opportunities just to try and sort of vindicate yourself and prove that you were right the first time and then you're sort of just hurting your team along the way as well so it's not just this like one-time thing it's just kind of this gift that keeps on giving if you keep if if, if you mess it up so i think that's why it's so crucial to nail those especially in the friend like in the lottery i mean that's it's tough to come back from that if you don't if you, that Our, top 10 pick isn't isn't uh isn't contributing for you within like three or four years are you trying to tell me and your listening audience right now, Dmitry Filipovich of the PDO cast, that mm. organizations overvalue their assets? No, I would never <laughs> I would never say something like that. Oh, okay, just so we're clear. Yes. No, I think I think it. I think Cody CC, uh, former first rounder, is definitely a guy whose play in the NHL has warranted the senators loving him as much as they do. That's what I'm saying. Okay. All right. Bye. Mr. All on, on the same page. Yeah. It usually takes a new general manager to come in and that's where everyone gets knock knees. Hey, listen, man, like I can remember a number of, of, of prospects because you, the one thing that, that doesn't, well, one of the things that doesn't get talked about a ton is how, you know, players are sensitive when they're free agents, you know, walking into a scenario where, you know, where you're concerned about who's presenting you. And I'll give an example. Uh, Teddy Purcell coming out of college, there were a number of teams that wanted him, um, including the Toronto Maple Leafs. But that was a transition time, let's just say, where everybody sort of had the feeling um, that John Ferguson was probably on his way out as the general manager of the team. And as much as Teddy Purcell wanted to play with the Maple Leafs, and I think it was his first choice, you know, the reason he went to the Los Angeles Kings was, you know, if I come in, I come in as one of Fergie's guys. If he's not there for much longer, then I'm part of the old group. I want to go somewhere where I know, you know, the general manager that presents me is going to be that general manager for a while. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, okay. So Miro Heiskanen and, and, and Kale McCarr going 3-4. Do you think that that was actually um, 
the right order or do you think that those teams might have made the the slight miscalculation of looking at their current situation and you know looking looking around and being like wow we really need defensemen and we should just try and get them here but not realizing that it's probably going to take a while for those guys to actually come and fix those problems uh good point um i think that i think that there were there are a, a, a I and mean, we saw this last year, specifically with Detroit and Nashville. There's always teams that go in there deliberately to do something with uh, an area where they're deficient. And you saw both Detroit and Nashville last year, Dennis Chalosky with the Detroit Red Wings and uh, Dante Fabro with Nashville. They went in there and said, oh, we need to start stocking defensemen here. And you could even make the argument, too, that, you know, the Chicago Blackhawks, you know, by picking up Henry Yokoharu, where where they did. I mean, there's some people that would have said he's you know he's an early second round pick. It's kind of a stretch to put him in the first. Um, you know, they went out there and said, listen, we need to grab a defenseman. They wanted Yurho um, uh, Vakaninen as well. He ended up going to Boston uh, at 18, so he was off the board of the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, but they went in there. I think deliberately they were coming out with a defenseman on the Friday. Um, and uh, put it this way. I don't think that Dallas was hard and fast set on Heiskanen because I have a really strong belief that they were one of the teams that tried to trade up to the number one position and they would have selected Nico Heischer as well. Right. So it wasn't as if they're like, well, we're three. Here we go. We're going to get our defense and close our books, uh, you know, and uh, and be out in time for last call. I don't think it was that because I'm, I'm pretty sure they were one of those teams that were trying to trade up. I, I think, you know, Colorado's kind of in dire straits with their defense uh, defense situation. But then, you know, you ask yourself, you know, well, who's got the higher, you know, uh, who's got the higher you know growth potential? Uh, Kale McCarr? Uh, off to UMass next year. Uh, who went after him? It would have been uh, the Pedersen kid to Vancouver. Yep. Yep. Uh, Cody Glass mm. to, uh, to to Vegas after that. And maybe, you know, you do look at your organization and you say to yourself, well, we're okay up front. Uh, let's go with the best defenseman available here. I understand. See, I'm of a couple of minds on this one. I remember talking to Patrick Watt at the Memorial Cup a couple of years ago. And he was trying to make the point that, no, we need to draft for need in Colorado because this was his point. His point is these guys, when they get drafted, are closer to the NHL than ever before. Like, it's not a matter of you're going to draft the guy and then he's going to vanish for five years and then reappear after spending three years in the minors. It's not that way anymore. Um, So we need to draft for position. But then I always remember the Chris Pronger story. The Chris Pronger draft story, uh, San Jose Sharks fans, you might want to turn off the podcast right now. You might want to just... They've already turned it off, Jeff. Don't worry. You might want to just stop listening right now. Um, So it was the year, you know, San Jose was going to draft second. They ended up trading. Uh, Hartford ends up taking the sides the day year, and they draft Chris Pronger. So Pronger's interview with San Jose, uh, the general manager at the time, I think that would have been Jack Ferrara. You know, says essentially says to Pronger, you know, uh, there's really no point in us even having a conversation. Um, we're drafting number two. We're not going to take you. Uh, we already have Mike Rathji and we have other big, strong, you know, big defensemen back there. Uh, we have too many of you already. So we're not going to draft you. We're going another direction. So essentially, even though they, in their mind, they had Mike Rathje and a bunch of other oak trees, they turned down one of the best defensemen the game has ever seen because they already have enough guys like him. 
which is why I always come back to the no matter if you have a million centers and that's all you have in the organization and Austin Matthews is available, you take Austin Matthews, period. Right. So I always, I always go back to that, that Chris Pronger example. Yeah, I guess there wasn't, uh, you know, the, the the forwards after the top two guys were like, I, I like a guy like Cody Glass, for example, but, you know, th- yeah. it's not, he's not necessarily one of those like generational can't miss guys where it's like, it's a sure thing that if you don't take him, you're going to wind up regretting it for the next 15 years. So it's, it's very, I, lo- I love, I love Cody Glass though. Yeah. I thought, honestly, I thought Vegas did a great job with the draft. I really do. I thought Vegas coming out of the first round, I mean, that was a Picasso, you know, Scott Luce and the entire scouting staff, like that was, Man, that was fantastic. They pull off uh, Cody Glass. Okay, you can make the point. Okay, that's the easy one. Like, Mm. Cody Glass is available at six. You take Cody Glass. Right. Um, Nick Suzuki at 13. I was shocked that Detroit uh, didn't take him at nine. Um, Plays every single situation. Dynamic on the power play. Maybe the smartest player in the entire draft. He's like the thinking man's hockey player. Um, Brilliant pick. And then two picks later, uh, Eric Branstrom, uh, the defenseman from HV71 in Sweden. Um, everything that we say about Kale McCarr, you can say the same thing about Eric Branstrom. Just say it in Swedish, and you almost have the exact same player. So you walk away with you know two pretty high-end centers, and, uh, and Eric Branstrom, who is a wonderfully gifted, you know, dynamic, control-your-power-play type blue liner mind you he's a couple years away but that that's all right you know great great wheels and really smart you know he's a defenseman for 2017 uh i gotta hand it to scott loose i hand it to, to george mcphee coming out of coming out of that first round uh the vegas had you know had 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 three chance three swings of the bat and they hit it out of the park i think with all three um they wanted to make the big splash we all know they wanted to trade up and get philly's pick to take nolan patrick but i still think they came out with maybe the biggest quality uh, out of anybody in that first round yeah no i um i i completely agree i thought the glass pick was great i would have preferred lilligren over brandstrom but it's not egregious by any means and then I mean, yeah, yeah. Having uh, having those three first rounders is uh, is a pretty nice little starting point for them. And obviously, credit to George McPhee and his staff for for making the right moves to leverage their position, their unique position with the expansion draft to actually afford themselves that opportunity. Um, because they obviously mm-hmm. could have handled it a different way. Um, yeah, like the I don't have many issues with a lot of the the top picks. Like a guy like Le- Leah Anderson, for example, I don't necessarily know. Uh, enough about him to just write that pick off the thing that i don't like is when you watch the broadcast and you hear the way he's sort of discussed and it's just it sounds like it's kind of the safe pick where it seems like people kind of feel like leas anderson is gonna play in nhl and he's gonna be a good player but it's like the guys that went after him maybe have more upside and i thought that for the rangers at that seventh pick it seemed like that could have been a chance for them to kind of swing for the fences and really try and knock it out as opposed to just sort of settling for for just another guy i don't, I don't know do you think that's a fair way to put it like i'm not trying to trying to bury the guy by any means but it just seems like there was a i didn't really love the thought process that went into that pick okay let me sell you on leah sanders mm, go for it. he is um dynamic he is fast um he's on the you know the the, the smaller side of things mm. um wonderful with the puck and let me tell you a little story i was hoping to get this one on the broadcast um but we didn't have any time for me to tell my goofy stories so <laughs> so i'm gonna drop it on your audience instead uh, I played for HV71, and I think they put this line together, I want to say during the middle of the year. 
Uh, it was Leah Sanderson with uh, Matthias Tedenby. Remember him from a first round draft? I sure do. Yeah, he was in the Kovalchuk trade, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, so you remember Matthias Tedenby. Yes. Um, and a guy by the name of Philip Sandberg, who is a San Jose Shark, San Jose Shark prospect. All three of them are on the smaller side of things. All are really quick, speedy, couple of water bugs. And they dubbed the line the Gummy Bears line. And if you don't think about Swedish hockey fans, they love to sing and they love the chants. So every time that that line was on the ice, oh, man, it's the, I love hockey in Europe. The whole rink would sing the theme song from the Gummy Bears TV show every time they were on the ice <laughs> together. Leah Sanderson, Matthias Tedenby, and Philip Sandberg. Have I sold you on Leah Sanderson? I'm yes. sold. I'm sold. I, <laughs> okay, there you go. You know what? I do. I do want to say because I know that uh, people are instantly going to be flooding the mentions. Um, Matthias Tenenby was not traded for Kovalchuk. That was actually Nicholas Bergforce. Okay, you're thinking of Bergforce. Yeah, yes, yeah, but, uh, another, I do remember Tenenby. Yeah, he was a former first round pick. Was was Nicholas Bergforce was the first too, wasn't he? I believe so. I mean, I remember people right. being very high on him, and obviously that did uh, that did not work out for the Atlanta Thrashers organization. Not many things did. Mm. It was a uh, as as um, as Colby Armstrong told me. He said we even had a motto for the team. It was "Welcome to Birdland," to which the players on the team said, "Welcome to Birdland." Please take two points. <laughs> H H V seventy H H V seventy one sounds so badass. It sounds like some sort of like a rogue operation or or some sort of headquarters you'd see in like a James Bond movie. It's, I, I'm I'm a fan of H V H V seventy one. H V seventy one sounds cool. Rogla sounds cool. Like I'm sorry, man. The Swedes got style, even the way they named what they named Frolunda. Like they got just cool names. Yeah, they for all the teams, please. They got us beat. They got us beat everywhere, and they're better looking than us. Mm. They're in better shape. Uh, damn Swedes. Damn you, Ufe Bodin. Sweden, if you're listening to this. <laughs> he's definitely listening to this. And he's just smiling and, and nodding his head. Um, yeah, the, the other pick was obviously, you know, when I had you on the show last time, we were discussing how Michael Rasmussen was a guy that we were sort of skeptical on, and a lot of people were uh, yeah. with, a, with a numbers, approaching it from a numbers background. And um, it was sort of surprising to see him go ninth to Detroit just because there were so many uh, other interesting names available. And I, I don't know. I mean, it, 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 it's funny because, you know, people still, I feel like, give the Detroit Red Wings the benefit of the doubt with, with the draft because of all the stuff they were doing in like the sixth and seventh round when people weren't really even scouting oh, like 15, 20 years ago. And, and maybe we need to reevaluate how uh, we are sort of discussing their draft picks and, and, and the job they're doing. Cause um, I, I was not a fan of that pick and I obviously haven't been a fan of what the Red Wings have been doing for a while now. So I just, that, that kind of stuck out to me as one of the, uh, the more questionable things that happened in, on day one. The Red Wings have built up a lot of goodwill. Yeah. They've, uh, they've built up a lot of breaks. They've built up a lot of mulligans. Um, the Rasmussen one surprised me as well. I remember talking to our executive producer, Shirley Najak, um, at the draft. And we were talking about the green room. So I did a lot of stuff back there talking to Patrick and, and Heischer and other, other prospects. Um, and he said, you know, who's going to be in here the longest? And the two that I thought, I'm like, oh, man, this might be a long night for a Clem Cost. And it turned out to be. I said, it might also be a long night for Michael Rasmussen of Tri-City. And uh, I was wrong. Uh, I didn't expect Detroit. I thought I thought the, the, the Detroit was going to take one of two players at nine, 
when it became obvious they were available. One was Nick Suzuki, uh, and the other was Timothy Liljegren. I thought it was going to be one of one of those two players. Or maybe I'm just thinking, you know, old style, old school um, Detroit Red Wings uh, philosophy. I, I didn't think for a second that they were going to go with uh, Michael Rasmussen. I didn't think that they were going to go with you know the big center. I, his skating gets knocked, but he gets around the ice just fine. Um, you know, the only real one of the only real issues I have, and like a lot of people have, with Rasmussen. We'll see what happens next year. Tri City should be a better team. Um, is the five on five production? Just, I mean, that's, it's a reality. It just wasn't there for Rasmussen. It was a lot of, a lot of points uh, on the power play. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. He's coming off a wrist injury now, but uh, I'm with you. That was, that was one of those picks where if it were any other team, right? Like if it's not the Detroit Red Wings making that pick, if it's, you know, the Florida Panthers, let's say that the, the Panthers and the Red Wings had flipped. And Dale, Chal- Dale Talon's got his, you know, two hands back on the wheel. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they take Michael Rasmussen. And all of a sudden, you know, we're having the same conversations of, you know, they're taking, you know, the big hulking guy, you know, over, um, you know, over someone who, you know, plays more of a 2017 game. Right. But it's Detroit. So you've, you've, you've built up that, that goodwill. So, man, it's... It's a it's a it's a tough one for me. Like how, on a scale of one to ten, how much did that did that Red Wings pick shock you? I mean, I was pretty surprised just because of you know maybe guys Who like was, Owen, right? Owen Tippett and maybe even like a Gabriel Velarde available, and you just thought like, oh, this is setting up pretty nicely for the Red Wings to get a really intriguing skilled guy, and then they went Rasmussen, and I I was a bit taken aback, but I was pretty surprised that Middlestad went the pick before that too, and obviously you know a guy like yeah. Velarde was was the big loser in that in that in, the, in that I, shuffle because he kept dropping to eleven. So here, here I see, I thought I I was making the case for myself Suzuki just because I was thinking old school Detroit and did, ditto for the run, yeah. um, but I was I was thinking you know you're across the pond from Windsor, you've had how many viewings of Gabriel Velarde. Um, I, I, when I was, you know, after the pick was made, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, so I'm in the green room there. I'm looking over at the Velarde family. I'm like, man, how many times would Detroit have just, you know, gone over the ambassador bridge to watch the Windsor Spitfires and seen Gabriel Velarde, uh, for the past couple of seasons. And I'm, I'm with you. I I was shocked that Velarde went as low as he did going down to 11. And there are many that are saying, you know, he's a top five at worst, a top six prospect Hmm. uh, in the draft this year. So yeah, there are, there are a few, but then here we are again, because it's Detroit, we're not having the conversation, but if it's the Florida Panthers that make the, that exact same pick, right? What are we saying? It's the Lawson Krause situation all over again. Yeah, and it's funny it, that that works uh, in many different ways because I thought another sort of interesting subplot was like, you know, Lilligren falling into the lap of the Leafs, for example, at seventeen, or even as a more extreme example, a guy I really liked uh, in uh, Ely Tolvanen falling to thirty in Nashville. And yeah. one of the reasons I really like I'm not I'm not going to pretend that I've you know been scouting a lot of Ely Tolvanen tapes, but I know that he's just one of those like shot generation machines that was just posting yep. ridiculous numbers and that just seems like you know nashville who is a very smart organization uh just sitting back with that 30th pick and he falls into our lap and i would not be surprised at all in a few years if 
you know, we, we see what they've done with guys like Victor Arvidsson and, uh, you know, now Pontus Aber is coming around and all these, all these, all these guys coming like that. And all of a sudden, uh, in a few years, I would not be surprised at all if we're talking about Eli Tovin in that way. And, and maybe if he'd gone to a different organization, I wouldn't be as high on the pick, but just based on the way it worked out like that, there is a little bit of a sort of confirmation bias involved. Yeah, that's, um, Tolvin is interesting, and uh, you're right on the money. So I, I thought they were taking Marcus Davidson um, because you know there's only been four uh, four drafts where you know going back to year one. There's only been four drafts where Nashville hasn't come away uh, with one player from Sweden, and as you see, they've been able to pluck some gems uh, from Sweden in the draft. Some early, some late, but they're able, they're always able. You know, to to find that that Swede that's going to help them. Um, so I thought they were going to go with Marcus Davidson, who was an interesting situation. Had um, a really bad beginning, a really bad start to the year. Turns out there were some concussion issues, so everyone had their bad viewings, made up their mind about him. And then towards the end of the season, started to turn it on. Tommy, uh, uh, so he, he was he was someone that was by having really a really bad couple of months to start the season, everyone already made up their minds about him, not realizing this guy's gone through some pretty significant health issues and a health situation. I thought they were going to go that way, and that's just because of Bergman there and how much favor he curries at the draft table for Nashville and how much they defer to him. Tolvanen, you mentioned he's you know the volume shooter. Um, he led the USHL with 246 shots. Um, I asked him about that at the combine. He goes, "Yeah, it's funny. The, the, there was one game uh, that I that I set my own record, uh, fourteen shots in a game. I didn't even get a goal. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like, I couldn't believe it. Um, and and he's a he's an interesting guy because you know there's he's on the smaller side of things, uh, certainly true. Uh, but if you're of the belief that if you're going to give your t- yourself or your team a chance to win a game by getting between thirty and thirty five shots." You know, when L.A. Tolvin is on your team, you're getting 30 or 35 shots because this right. guy gets the, gets the shot. He gets it in. He gets it off in a lot of different ways as well. It's a hard shot. Like it's a outside of Owen Tippett. It's the best shot in the draft, period. Um, there are other deficiencies in his game. Um, the interesting story about Tolvin as well, uh, and this happened you know, the day before the draft, is uh, due to admission issues, he got turned down by Boston College. Uh, where he was committed. I talked to Jay Grossman about it the next day, who's his advisor slash agent, uh, depending on where he's playing. And he said they had known about this for six months. Um, he'd been working hard to try to catch up, but it just wasn't going to work out. Um, and I said, well, is, you know, is this going to be enough? Remember the Max Letourneau situation? He went through something similar. Was playing Youngstown with like Cal Connor and JJ Pickenich. He was committed to BU had admission issues and he ended up going to where did he go? UConn. Right. Ended up going to UConn. Um, and Jake kind of said, yeah, college isn't an option anymore. You know, Europe or the American Hockey League. And I guess I, I someone told me today that it looks like he's going to play in Jokeritz. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tolvanen is. So there he goes. He's not going to play in the uh, in North America this year, but he's going to uh, going to Jokerit to play with that uh, legendary team. So I, I, I'm with you. There, were, I mean, there were times where I thought that Tolvin was going to be a top five pick. I really did, and I love guys like that too. That just volume shoot, volume shoot, volume shoot. So um, I can understand why. And when you have an organization like the Nashville Predators, and you have a farm system like the Milwaukee Admirals, which we should be talking about the same way we talk about the Grand Rapids Griffins right. as far as developing prospects. Yes. Um, that, that's, 
as good a finishing school, let's just say, for organized for uh, for hockey teams, they have in the American Hockey League. Yeah, I think we're going to see another uh, graduate of that in uh, Vlad Kamenev pretty soon with the Predators as well, and I'm a big fan of his. Um, yeah, I thought he was going to make the team this year. I did. I thought Kamenev was coming in this year. Yeah, but well, that's okay. No wrong. No nothing wrong. With leaving him another year. Yeah, I think uh, it worked out pretty well for the Predators in the grand scheme of things. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, it was fascinating seeing with these broadcasts, um, you know, you were discussing how maybe we didn't have enough time in between the, the selection and by the time the guy makes it to the stage and it felt a little sped yeah. up. But one thing I really did enjoy was you sort of see these, and I know scouts like a Corey Promner, for example, hate the uh, the comparables, right? Because you sort of uh, paint yourself into this box where every player is unique in their own right and you don't, you, will fair, you know, you don't want to put these unfair expectations on him and all of a sudden if you compare him to a yeah. certain guy, everyone's just going to expect that and if he turns out to be different you're wondering what happened there and i, I completely get all that but i love sort of seeing how they com- they talk about themselves as players and uh how do you pronounce uh is it philip chido uh i've always pronounced it uh, philip chido philip chido i love that I've, I've heard both chido and uh, north bay drafted him in the euro draft today by the way stan butler thinks he's coming to north bay I lo- anyway go ahead i loved um so the rangers took him with their set with their second first round pick yeah. and uh there was this caption that said that he described his game as Austin Matthews like, and the comparison for him was <laughs> Thomas Placanich. And I was like, hmm. Like, I listen, I I respect the hell out of Thomas Placanich's career, and he's obviously declined now in his in, in his older age. But he was a fantastic player once upon a time. And if I think if, if Philip Chetel uh, becomes Thomas Placanich, the Rangers will be very happy. But it's it's just funny seeing the uh, the disparity between those two yeah. players who I would not very compare very closely otherwise. So it's uh, I'm kind of curious to see how that one plays out. The chasm between the two is vast. Yes. You know, interesting about, about him as well is um, he's a left winger, he's a center as well. Um, curious to see if he ends up playing in the Ontario League. Stan Butler certainly hopes so, as per the uh, uh, the Euro draft today. Um, he was almost, I mean, he's always, he's always been a young hockey player at whatever level he's played in. He just missed the cutoff for the 2018 draft by 10 days. I honestly, I think he was the youngest player in the draft this year. Mm-hmm. So you could all you can make the argument that you know the, the Rangers drafted this guy, but he's still really not with his peer group. Right. You know, evaluate him based on you know next year's crop with this one more year of development. Mm-hmm. That's why I think, and I had him at the towards the end of the draft. I think in my mock, I had him going to Pittsburgh, but he was sort of right around in right, right around that area, I suppose. So you, you say to yourself, you know, as a as a scout, you say to yourself, well, you know, this guy's you know one of the youngest in his draft class. What would he be like with this peer group with one more year of seasoning? Yeah. Me and, and that, that I think a lot of people sort of arrived at that point towards the end of the season when you started to see his name in. Uh, in, in, in first-round mock drafts more so than you saw at the beginning of the season. Well, I think in, especially at that age, those like 11, 11 months or so are obviously make a huge difference in terms of the, uh, the developmental curve and what he's going to look like once yeah, he finally and then, that age. So, so then you go to Gabe Velarde, who's almost a full 11 months younger than Nolan Patrick. Yeah. Not that I'm saying that Velarde's going to be Nolan Patrick, but what's Gabe Velarde going to be like with that extra 11 months? It's a legit question. Yeah. Uh, definitely more physically mature. Um one final guy in the first round that I was curious about. Um, where'd you have Pierre Olivier Joseph in your 
in your uh, in your rankings because uh, he wasn't in your first uh, round, was he? Let me check really quick. Do some tap dance music here. Let me get my my mock draft. Here, let, uh, let me give my spiel on him before uh, okay. we'll, to, to kill some time here. So he described himself. He compared himself uh, to Mark Edward Vlasic, um, and. I love Mark Edward Vlasic. That's a good. That's a that's a good comparison. I love, but he, here's my problem with that. I'm so skeptical um, about investing first round picks in defensive defensemen. Not that they necessarily don't have yeah. value, because you obviously see like a Mark Edward Vlasic is an amazing player and mm-hmm. one of the better defensemen in the league. But I just I don't trust our ability to pick those guys out at this young of an age. I feel like we. Whenever we think that this next guy is going to be this really reliable stay-at-home defensive defenseman, it generally does not turn out well because they have sort of this like capped ceiling on their abilities as a player. And it's usually the guys that maybe were just dominating at the lower levels that sort of settle into this more defensive role once they get to, to the NHL. So I, that, I'm always kind of hesitant to buy in on self-professed defensive defensemen at this young of an age because it seems like that's a bit of a red flag for me. As I warned San Jose Sharks fans earlier, I think you should have warned Boston Bruins fans you were going to say that because you're also talking about Yerho Vakanainen, mm. who Boston who Boston took at 18. I'm not sure that he would describe himself as such. Um, and he's a decent skater and he gets around the ice, but just don't expect any awesome uh, offense from, from Vakanainen. Um, I understand that, and I, I completely see your point, that if you're, if you're fishing in the first round pond, uh, you want someone that isn't just, well, he's good in his own zone, he, you know, he can flip the puck into the neutral zone, hmm. he can, and, he can, and he can get the puck out. Like, you, you want more to his game, right. uh, and I think that there is you know, more to Pierre-Olivier Joseph's game um, than just you know, strictly the, the, the defensive defenseman. Um, he's still wiry thin. He still needs to fill out. I mean, his older brother, uh, Matthew Joseph, was a third rounder of the Tampa Bay Lightning, had a big year this year with uh, the St. John's Sea Dogs of the QMJHL, big year with Team Canada at the U-20s as well. I mean, if you look at him as a, as a model, if that's going to be the frame that he's going to fill into, um, he's going to have an NHL body sooner than later. I, I do think that even though... See, I'm always skeptical of how players describe themselves publicly because i i think that a lot of players when they speak publicly at this age tell you a what you want to hear and b what their agent has told them the coach in the room wants to hear you know what i mean yes like before these guys go to do the combine interviews trust me they're run through the gamut of questions, you know, with their um, uh, with their agents. You know, here's what you say to the coach. Here's what the coach wants to hear. You know, and and in th- in this respect, you know, this is where you know second generation guys, Cal Foot, for example, from Kelowna, goes to Tampa, almost have a sort of leg up on a lot of other players because they just grew up in this environment. You know, they grew up in you know this is what the coach wants. This is the hierarchy. This is how you speak. They just get all of it, so they blend right away. Um, it's not a, a harsh entry. It's like an Olympic diver into water. There's no ripple. This guy's in, right. um, and 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 you kind of get it. Um, Pierre Olivier Joseph's in his win. I'm just looking at my mock here. I didn't have him in the first round. I had him just outside. I had my final picks. Yeah, I had Philip Scheidel and I had Marcus Davidson to Nashville. I had Jake Ottinger to Dallas at 29. Jesper Bokfist, who I still think should have been in the first round, 
at 28. And then Connor Timmons, who I thought should have been in the first round as well, uh, going to the St. Louis Blues. Well, that's, so you, you mentioned uh, Jake Ottinger with, with the Stars, and that's another sort of wrinkle that I'd love to um, get more access to that we probably won't in terms of, you know, if you're a GM of one of these teams and you're sitting back and you have a certain guy that you're really interested in and the draft's yeah. pro- progressing and each pick is going off, going off the board and that guy's still available, like it must be so tempting to uh, just ensure that you get that guy and maybe... May not make the best move from a value perspective and maybe give up future picks or something like that to, to move up a few spots. And we saw the stars do that to get Jake Ottinger. Um, I, I guess obviously if you had like sort of discussions with your, with your peers and other GMs, maybe you sort of have a feel for how they feel about certain players and maybe you think you can sit back and wait on them. But I'm always, I'm always fascinated by sort of uh, sitting and hoping a guy makes it all the way down to you versus uh, just kind of going for it and, 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 and trading up to get him and, and ensuring that you don't wind up regretting missing out on him. Yeah, you'd be pretty much sure that when you're training, you'd be thinking another team is going to grab him. Yeah. Uh, I can recall last year in the draft when the Boston Bruins took Trent Frederick. Everybody went, what? Where did the Bru- Trent Frederick's the second round? There was a few. I think Seidel's North American Central had him as a first rounder. There may have been a, one or two more. But basically, this guy was like, you can get Trent Frederick in the second round. That's not going to be a problem for anybody. And Boston jumped up and grabbed him in the first round. Um, and I had a conversation with someone from the Bruins organization after the draft on our way back to the hotel. And I said, what's the Frederick pick? Um, and he's like, we had intel that the Anaheim Ducks were going to take him. Uh, with their pick, they ended up grabbing Sam Steele from Regina with the 30th overall. And uh, we wanted our guy. Was it too high? Yep, we know it. But this was our one shot to get him because there was, in our minds, no way he was going to get past Anaheim. So for Dallas, you know, they must have had some information that someone else was going to grab Jake Ottinger. And even though, you know, you might want to not might want to do it that high, you have a couple of picks you're playing with. When you have two picks in the first, Especially if one is low, you can kind of gamble with it a little bit. You make your f- safe pick first, so they grab Miro Heiskin, and that guy's going to play in the NHL. And then you sort of throw that dart. And is there a bigger wild card in the first round than goaltenders? Mm. Uh, yeah. And so that's that's where you take the chance and you grab, you know, the guy that many say are is you know the the best goaltender available this year in Jake Ottinger. Yeah, I uh, I was a bit surprised by that just because you know. It, other than uh, Elias Amsonov a few years ago, it seems like goalies in the first round have uh, have basically become an, an extinct dying breed. But I guess people are scared. People are scared, and you can get them all. I mean, it's almost as if there's like this little you know, sort of secret handshake now. Like, ooh, nobody does it. Nobody does it. You can't take goaltenders in the first. And then when one guy takes a goaltender in the second round, it's like, okay, all of a sudden there's a run on goalies. And then all of them go. It's like a domino effect. Damn, we got to get our goalies quick. Someone's taking one. The ball's starting to roll here. Yeah. Um, yeah, so did we, uh, in your estimation, do you think we covered all the relevant stuff from the first um, round? Is there is there any other I, sort of I, anecdotes that you, that you might have wanted to share that you didn't get to on the broadcast? Uh, oh, tons of stories. I, I left a lot in the green room. <laughs> like, uh, how, you know, Jake, I oh, was just talking to Jake Ottinger. Um, his parents wouldn't let him play goal till he was 10 years old. They, uh, they insisted that he, uh, he learned how to skate properly and eventually they relented and let him play backup goaltender on his team. And then one day, uh, the starting goaltender got called up to a different team and he was able to finally start and that was it. 
and never looked back. But he got the late start. He wasn't a goaltender until he was until hmm. he was he was uh, ten years old. Um, what else was it? What else was uh, was was interesting? Um, it was Pierre Levey Joseph and Josh Norris? That's a nice pick. I like Josh Norris. Um, I don't know. Give me a player. I'll see if I can rattle off a story for you. Give me some first rounders. See what I got. Well, okay. So, do you have it? Like, I love the uh, that quote about Kaylor Yamamoto with the whole uh, thing where he was basically like telling the team that if they don't pick him, they're going to wind up regretting it. Like, I, I I love stuff like that. So, yes, I, I, he's all, he's instantly like he's, I, was, I was a big fan of him statistically, but now hearing that, I'm also just a big fan of him as a as a player moving forward. I'm going to be rooting for him. So he's 22 months old, living in Spokane, um, and Tyler Johnson, you know, legendary Spokane chief now with the, the Tampa Bay Lightning. His mom, Debbie, is a skating instructor and started to teach Yamamoto at 22 months of age how to skate. Like the, the one thing is funny because I don't know if we ended up doing it because I was running around trying to get to his dad, Russ, uh, to do an interview with him. But I think we were planning on doing a split screen uh, with the skating stride of Kyler Yamamoto and Tyler Johnson because they're almost identical. And that goes right back to Tyler Johnson's mom, Debbie, um, who taught, obviously, Tyler and taught both Yamamoto boys, uh, Kyler at 22 months and his brother, I think at 20 months of age, um, how to skate. Um, and it's an interesting story. He's, you know, from Spokane, you know, grew up playing there. And then when he reached a certain level and you get this in a lot of, uh, in a lot of American hockey stories, uh, where you have to, it, when you reach a certain level, you have to go somewhere else where the quality is better in order to, to develop more as a player. And for four years, his dad, you know, every weekend with the kid asleep in the front seat would drive to Seattle. So the kid could the kid could play hockey on the weekends in a higher program for four years. He did that, driving to Wenatchee and then driving to you know Los Angeles uh, before he gets drafted in the I think it was like fifth round or something like that in the WHL Bantam draft. So I mean I love those you know the sacrifice stories, the relentless stories, the driving all over to to you know make sure the kid can play at uh, at a high level, and also the NHL association stories. And when you watch Yamamoto skate, just for a second, close your eyes and imagine Tyler Johnson because the skating stride and all of it is identical. And that goes back to goes right back to to Tyler's mom Debbie. Mm-hmm. That's a great story, man. Um, I like him. I like I like him a lot, and he's a wonderful kid too. He's got a great sense of humor. Um, you know, he is, <laughs> it's funny. Cause you know, a lot of guys like yes, coach, no coach, you know, furrowed brow, you know, this guy is a dude. This guy is funny. This guy keeps it light. This guy doesn't, I mean, he's serious about his career, but he knows that at the end of the day, you know, this is, you know, this is hockey. This is a sport. This is Toys R Us. This isn't life and death. We're playing a sport here. And you get that sense of Miyamoto both on and off the ice. Just a, honestly, he is a wonderful kid to be around. You ever meet this guy or his family? Just wonderful people. Well, he won me over, that's for sure. Um, yep. Do you? So, what, what, are, what are you up to these days now? Uh, the, the draft I'm process done. is done. You're, you're done for yeah, the, the done. season. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty much done. Um, they don't have you on any free agency stuff. No, no. It's, well, we have Jays that day, right? So right. it's uh, uh, Darren Millard uh, and uh, who else would be on his panel? I think Elliot is on that. I want to say Doug McLean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then secondary panel is David Amber, and I'm not sure who's on his desk. Um, I should probably know, but I don't. 
Hmm. But uh, there's, there's, we have enough people. They don't need me, my little, my little act. You slacker. People are, people are done with my act by now. Anyway, <laughs> like, oh God, I've seen enough of America all season long on Sportsnet. You know, let him go live his little hippie life in uh, in Stouffville. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I was going to ask you some stuff about the. Uh, the 2018 class, but I feel like we should let we should let this one marinate a little bit. I feel like uh, we'll have plenty. We'll have, you, we'll have plenty. 2018. Well, I've already started. I've already started my list. <laughs> so Svechnikov is going to be playing for Barry, right? Yeah, he was selected first overall. They'll get him for one year, then he'll turn pro. He's yeah. that good. Yeah, he's that good. So, do you think, realistically speaking, um, is he? I guess it kind of depends on how the season shakes out and who gets that pick, but. Like he's if you awesome. had to go between him and uh, him and Dalin right now, where where, where would you lean? I love Rasmus Dalin. Mm. I really do. Like I, I can't. God, I always see. To me, I always defer to the defenseman. Like I have that positional bias, so I'll go with the Swedish defenseman over the Russian forward. But damn, Sveshnikov's good. Like honestly, like I hope we get. I hope we do a ton of Barry Colts games this year on the CHL on Sportsnet, just so everybody can see Andre Sveshnikov. That's how good this guy is. And I also hope we do a lot of Frölunda games, knowing full well we'll do none, because I think we don't like to see Rasmus Dalin. Well, at least um, we'll get to see him at the at the World Juniors. I feel like that's going to be kind of a good opportunity for us to, to check back in on sort of their progress reports and where they're, where they're kind of looking in that one-two debate moving forward. Yeah, in a more profound role as well. Right. Right. Like last year, he was a bottom pairing defenseman, you know, 16 year old, you know, makes the uh, makes team Sweden, but, you know, didn't end up seeing a ton of ice or in, in key situations. But you'll see him in, in more uh, big situations this year uh, in Buffalo at the uh, at the World Juniors. Um, you know, there's good players. Um, you know, Joe Valeno of, of St. John um, should be a top 10 pick. Uh, don't look now. There's another Kachuk coming. Brady Kachuk. Of the uh, the development program, Ryan Merkley, the defenseman with the Guelph Storm. I'm a big fan of Bodie Wild, who's going to the program right now. Uh, Saginaw has his rights. Uh, I wonder if there's a situation where Saginaw trades it to another team, and Bodie Wild ends up playing in the OHL. Uh, you're gonna love Jared McIsaac when you get a chance to see him. Big defenseman for the Halifax Mooseheads. Uh, Ryan McLeod of the Mississauga Steelheads. Quinn Hughes of the development program. Uh, Philip Sedina, who uh, got selected in the uh, in the draft today in the uh, in the in the CHL, uh, he'll should be a, probably a, a top ten pick. And then, you know, who knows? Uh, Yesir Yolanin of Espo may end up uh, popping big. Olivier Wallstrom uh, of the uh, uh, the development program, Akil Thomas of Niagara. Like there's Alan McShane of the Oshawa Generals, Jet Move Moosejaw. Um, Nando Eggenberger, I can go on. Evan Bouchard of London. Like, there's next year's draft, like I'm telling you, where this year we said, ah, it's a little bit light. Right. Next year's draft is deep. There are some real good players uh, available next season. Yeah, but you know what's going to happen as as the process moves along. You're going to start, like, picking apart these guys and, and, uh, and, and trying to bring them down. Like, it, it seems like, uh, as the year goes along, we're going to find some warts in some of these guys' games for sure. But I, I agree, especially at the top of the draft. It definitely seems like uh, those two guys are sort yeah. of the potential kind of generational impact guys that maybe this they're draft good. didn't really have. Yeah, they're, 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 they're both outstanding. So, and then right, right down the list, you're going to get good players. So all the listeners can go right now to sportsside.ca and check out your top 100 for the 2018 draft, right? Uh, where am I at now? <laughs> Honestly, I'm, I think I'm at about, I'm serious. I'm at 52 
right now. I got Busby and Flint and Levin at Sudbury at 52 right now. You're you got Nishnikov in there. You got uh, who else I have in there? Carson Foe to Tri-City. Jake Wise at the program. Joel Farabi at the program. Program's going to be good next year, by the way. Some real good players. Nice. You're a madman, Jeff. Make sure make sure to take some time this summer for yourself. You know why I love it? No, you know why I love stuff like this? Mm. Because draft days are all happy. They're all happy stories. Right. That's why I love it. It's great. It's like everyone, everybody, I mean, outside of, you know, the guys that, you know, don't get selected. (laughs) um, You know, generally, you know, everyone's going home happy. And especially on that Friday, everybody got exactly who they wanted. And all the prospects that get picked, uh, they were all chosen by their exact favorite team growing up. Actually, Funny, funny, real quick story. So I know you want to wrap. The um, so um, I'm back there in the green room for the first overall pick. It's Nico Heischer, and I'm going to interview his brother Luca, uh, who's always been Nico Heischer's inspiration. He wears number thirteen, and he is a Pavel Datsuk fan, but he wears number thirteen because he's a big fan of his older brother Luca. Hmm. Uh, has always been his idol. And right before we're coming hot, like I've got my producer counting down in my in my ears, you know, 10, 9, 8, 7, I get to 5, and Heisher's father runs up to me and puts this card in my hand and says, this is Nico at 9 years old, or 10 years old, I can't remember what it was. And I look at it, and Dimitri, and I just held it up to the camera and said, is this foreshadowing or what? It's a p- picture of, of Nico Heisher in a New Jersey Devils jersey. Hmm. It's hilarious. That's awesome. Uh, what about times. what about the twenty nine other pictures of him wearing all the other teams' jerseys? Yeah, we didn't get to that part. <laughs> some shrewd, shrewd marketing by the Heishers. Those Swiss. Have, I was gushing about the Swedes before. No way, man. They're dopes. Go to the Swiss all yeah. day long. Smartest ones around. We've got to figure it out. Uh, uh, all right, Jeff. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time here to spread some of this wisdom. And definitely, as I said, make sure to enjoy your summer a little bit. And we'll uh, yeah. we'll check back in with you sometime down the road. Thanks, man. We'll talk soon. Thanks, right. Dimitri. As always, great podcast. Keep it going. Cheers. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dimitri Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.